Well, good morning, family. I'm so thankful that we get to see some people sitting here in front of us, and some people I'm thankful that you're tuning in online, whatever you're comfortable with. We understand that these are times of uncertainty, and we want to love you well wherever you're at. So I have a few announcements before we jump into God's Word today. But um, So we have a family reunion coming up next week. We get to eat together, so another step in doing community. And I am super excited. Uh, All of the food will be packaged so that many people won't be touching it. So we're trying to make sure there's boundaries, good safety measures in how we're serving the food. Um, We'll be sitting together in a way where there's two tables between us. So four, four feet across. So and hopefully if you're sitting there, you'll be at six feet. And our goal is just to do life together because here at the Oaks, we believe that community grows life. We have seen it grow life over and over again. On June 3rd, we're going to start our um, our summer um, table talk session, which is a freedom study. It's going to be led by Pastor Nathan and Sarah. And if you'd like more information, you can see them. Um, it's an individual study. We'll gather together. Um, we'll have snacks together. We're going to do a lesson together, but break up by genders. So just moments where um, where we get to really dive deep, maybe unpack some things in our hearts that keep us from experiencing the fullness of God. So if you need more information, you can see Pastor Nathan and Sarah. We're also planning some summer family days this summer. Last year, we went to B-City. It was so fun, but we aren't sure what the timetable looks like. So we want you to be aware that this is coming, and we will do it as we are able to and as it is safe to do. So we plan to go to B-City and also to the beach again. So those are some cool things that are coming up this summer at the Oaks. So if you will just gather with me, and while we have encountered just a beautiful moment of worship, I want us to do a little bit further in posturing our hearts. So if, if you will just pray with me, it's going to be on the screen. In a, just a moment of surrender, we did this in our time where we prayed before service. If you could just place your hands up, almost like you're under arrest. You're not really under arrest, but this is just a sign of surrender. So if you'll keep your hands up while we pray this, and let's pray it together. Come Holy Spirit, I give you permission to move in my mind, changing how I think that you would move in my heart, changing how I love, and that you would move in my hands and feet, calling me to action. Amen. Thank you for praying along with me, and I hope that that is the posture of your heart. So this week, um, I was able to participate virtually in a conference called Amplify. It was a a great moment. It's an ecumenical community, which means it's many different denominations who believe that Jesus is the way, gathering together to rally one another so that we can share Jesus with the world. And if you know anything about this moment we're in, we need Jesus because he is the hope of the world. So to gather with other people who are like-minded and uh, see Um, how we could spur one another on. The leader of the conference, his name is Ed Stetzer. He shared this from the very beginning. He said, don't let this moment that we're in keep us from the mission that we are on. Don't let the moment that we are in, moments of fear, moments of uncertainty, moments of I'm not sure, keep us from the mission we're on. 
And so um, we had already planned today to talk about being sent and unpacking the Great Commission. So what a beautiful picture of how we keep on mission by the words of Ed Stetzer. Don't let the mission, the moment that we're in, keep us from the mission that we are on. In our culture, we live and breathe that, this reality that life is captured in a moment, right? If you are a Facebooker, which means typically you are about 25 and older, if you're on Facebook, most people under 25 do the Insta or other things. But um, if you're over 25, you know that in the Facebook world, we see people say, this is the moment of my life captured in words. So we tell stories on there. We tell lots of stories of today when I did this, this happened. And we want to capture the moments of our life in a story. Or we want to tell people, you should agree with me because this is how I believe. I'm frustrated with this. It's very much a place where um, if you have a political thought where um, people share it. But let's remember that no arguments that happen on Facebook based on differing opinions change anybody's opinion, right? So it's a place where a snapshot, a moment of life, is captured in words. Um, if you are the younger generation, then you know the Instagram world is where we capture moments of life in a picture. It's actually like on the logo of Instagram. It's a little camera because life is captured in a picture. We want the moments of our lives to be captured as a picture. If you um, get a new dog, you may want to capture the moments of them growing up on Instagram by having their own account or something like that. I heard that that may be a thing. But these are things in our modern culture, Facebook and Instagram. But if you open up God's Word, you're going to find moments that are Facebook and Instagram worthy. Moments that are snapshots, either in words or in pictures. And so I just wanted to quickly, before we jump in any further, I wanted to share three quick um, snapshots with you. Um, how about Rahab? Anybody heard of Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute, and she is one of the few women who are talked about in the New Testament as like a recap of the story that she lived out in the Old Testament. Um, New Testament writers remember her character of faith, and they say even though she was a prostitute, she had great faith. She's listed in the Hebrews, um, Hebrews 11, which is the faith, Hall of Faith chapter, and also in James. But we see her story found in Joshua chapter 2. And while we aren't going to unpack it fully, there is this moment that's captured where she has the opportunity to encounter somebody who is living on mission with God. So we see, um, we see these people the Israelites, and they're sent to go and see and evaluate the promised land. Like, go and look and come back and tell the people how awesome the promised land is so that we'll all be excited to go. Go and be influencers there to come back here so that we'll want to go. You ever had somebody go and experience something and then you hope they'll come back and it can determine whether you go or not, right? Well, that's what happens in these snapshots of our lives on social media is we get a snapshot of what we believe or not. Um, in Joshua chapter 2, we see this moment. She hides the Israelite men as the, as the people of Jericho are coming to capture them. She hides them. And after the people of Jericho leave, she says, now listen here. I've been kind to you. And now I expect when this conquest happens that you in turn will be kind to me. Because the people here in Jericho, we're afraid of your God. We're terrified. But I want to know him. 
And so in that moment, she has this opportunity where she not only takes the moment by the reins, but she seizes the day. She seizes the day and she changes the history of her family. She's actually in the lineage of Jesus because of the moment where she seizes it. Or how about in uh, Acts? Acts chapter 8, we see um, an Egyptian eunuch who is traveling along the road in his chariot. And he has these questions. But we see in Acts chapter 8 that God sends Philip. He actually says, go south on this desert road that runs to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Gaza. And as Philip says yes, he seizes the moment. Philip runs over. And here's a man reading the scroll from the prophet Isaiah while he's in the chariot. He's like reading it. And he, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you, do you understand what you're reading? He doesn't run to the chariot and say, I know Jesus. And that's about Jesus. Let me tell you all the ways. He says, do you know what you're reading? He takes the moment to start a conversation with this guy who is in a chariot from another country. He's like, in this moment, do you know what you're reading? And the man says this in verse 31. He says, how can I unless someone instructs me? And then he asks Philip to come inside of his chariot and explain the word of God to him. He invites him in because he asked a question instead of him sharing the information he knew front hand. Philip begins to talk about God's word with the eunuch. It says in verse 35, so beginning with the same scripture, the same scripture that the eunuch had questions about, Philip told the good news about Jesus to him. And they rode along. Then they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, there's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, nothing. So they get out of the chariot. Philip gets in the water with them. He baptizes him. He comes up out of the water and then Philip disappears. What? That's what the scripture says. It says in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip took the moment that God put him in and used it for the fullness of the moment. And he changed a eunuch's life by explaining God's word to him. It's believed that this eunuch um, gathering his faith in Jesus was the first to take the faith of Christ, the way of Jesus, to Egypt, which changed not only Egypt, but all of Africa. It became a way of life because Philip said yes. And then there's Esther. She's represented by the crown in the middle of the screen. There's a poignant moment to live in the moment, to live in the moment that God gives you. And Esther, if you um, don't know the story, Esther is a Jewish woman placed in a kingdom as, as the, the wife of a king who is from a different nationality. And so she is sort of not really understood. She doesn't really share who she is. But she lives in that moment because God has placed her there. But she's afraid because she's different. Any of us ever experience moments where we're afraid because we're different? So she's in this moment, and her people are getting ready to be killed by the kingdom that she is the queen of. Her uncle comes to her, and he encourages her to seize the moment. He says these words in, I'm sorry, in Esther 4.14. If you keep quiet at this time, a time like this, if you refuse to use this moment, deliverance and relief will come for the Jews, because remember, the Jews are God's people. God has a plan for his people. Deliverance and relief will come from somewhere else. But you and your relatives, you're going to die. Like He's calling her to action. 
And then he says these words, which you can find on uh, Pinterest. You can see people share on many different social medias. Who knows if perhaps you were created for just a moment like this? Who knows if you were created for just a moment like this? Throughout Scripture, we find moments of this resurgent, life-giving power when people say yes to what God calls them to do. This power shows up as people live on mission. And you may be thinking, I'm not Esther. I'm not Philip. I don't know anybody from Ethiopia. And people don't ride in carriages anymore, in case you didn't know. You may be saying, I don't live in a kingdom where people are coming to attack. But we all have a mission. We all have a mission, something to live out every day as we seize the day. And today, I want us to unpack this resurgent power. Could you imagine if you lived so on mission that people thought that you were filled up with power? Like, they're like, I don't know what it is about, about that one. Gosh, there's something weird about them. It's like they radiate. It's like they ooze. And that's what we're called to do as we live on mission. But mission comes only after we decide, like the last song we sing, that nothing else will do, that we just want Jesus. Mission doesn't come because we check all the boxes, because then it's just a routine. It's just a religious practice. It has no power. Mission comes as we say yes to Jesus and we walk with him because he is the one with power. Remember, Philip told the eunuch, it says he shared the good news about Jesus because Jesus is the power in our mission. It's not us. It's Jesus that's the power in our mission. And we can do a lot of things with our lives. Every person in here has a different job or has had a different job than me. Everyone. We all have an important pushed mission that we can do, but we actually find this power when we walk on mission with Jesus, and we can do that in any realm we get in. So as you look at God's word, there are about three different scriptures that we're going to unpack today, but the first one says that our mission is to walk with Jesus and become his disciples, and this is found in John chapter 8. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Disciples are people who are learners, and they learn by abiding in God's word, by abiding with him. It means opening this up or your Bible app and saying, I wonder what God has to say about this that I'm going through. I don't know. Or saying, you know, I know that so-and-so has just experienced this, and they've found freedom. So what if I talk to them about my situation? That's another way that we abide with Jesus when we surround ourselves with people who have encountered it. So our mission is to learn, to be a learner by being a disciple. But disciples aren't like uh, pots that fill up with dirt and just stay there. Disciples are people who also pour the dirt out, pour out what they learn to other people. So they're learners and they share or live out what they've learned. If you look at the Great Commission... In Matthew 28, it says, After the resurrection, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Like, in my resurrection, I got every bit of power. Like, nothing can happen that I can't control. Nothing can happen that I can't fix. Nothing can happen that I don't already know about, that hasn't slid through my fingers, and that I can't contain. I have all of this power. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. This is the abiding. I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. So what does the Great Commission mean? Well, we have to be learners and we have to live out what we've learned. We have to go and make disciples and disciples, disciple making is really not as hard as it seems. Disciple making is simply sharing what you've learned. If you've learned a trade and you've helped somebody else learn the trade, then you've made a disciple, just not of Jesus. It's of your trade. You're saying, I know how to do this. Let me show you how to do this. I used to make artificial limbs and braces for a living, and I loved it. And it was so cool to make something and then show somebody else how to make it and then be like, it really does work. And you're like, see, now you can do this and you can do it well. And this is a way that I used to make disciples in brace making world. So we're called to go and make disciples. Jesus saying, go and do life with people. One of my best friends, who is also a pastor, she calls discipleship this. It's simply living life on life. So if I'm going to go do something that I've never done before, I could say, hey, Rich, I'm going to go do this. Do you want to go with me? And he'd be like, oh, sounds daunting. No. But if it's something that he was comfortable with or something he was interested in, he may say, yeah, I'll go with you. That's cool. Let's learn this. And discipleship is simply living life on life. It's being a learner. And then as Jesus says, baptize them. Baptism is simply showing people the power of resurrection in Jesus, helping them encounter and choose to walk with him. It's simply there saying, I die to myself and I raise to live life with Jesus. So if that's how we're called to, to baptize people, we are actually calling them to live a full life in Jesus. We're saying, hey, I want to teach you this, but I want you to love it so much that you want to live it too. That You just aren't like, Jeremiah, he's a believer and I really like worshiping with him. He's great. And you're like, no, I want, I want that relationship with Jesus that Jeremiah has. I need this. I need this. I want to be raised to full life with Jesus. And then you teach them what you've learned. It's that come along with me. Now you've said yes. Let's do this together. Disciples are people who live out what they've learned. We see people live out what they learn every day as they do a job. What would happen if we lived out what we've learned about Jesus every day? If we saw him in a new way? In Acts 1.8, Jesus gives another description to his disciples. He's like, you're going to be disciples, which means you're going to learn and you're going to live it out. But you're also going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my witness and share the good news. Jesus calls those who have walked with him his witnesses because they've experienced something, right? If you go to court and they call you as a witness, you share what you've seen, what you've experienced. You don't share what you heard because we know that that's called hearsay and they throw that out. You share what you've experienced. So if we see Jada kill somebody on the way to church next week, don't do that, it's bad. <laughs> but if we saw her and we experienced it and we would, we would be able to give all the details, right? Oh, well, she ran a red light and somebody got hurt. Or what if she came to church and she said, but somebody else ran the red light and I didn't mean to do it. And, it's, and then we took her side as hearsay instead of the truth. A witness shares what they've experienced. So we would have to share what we know or what we've encountered, not what somebody else told us. So I can't walk in the faith of anybody else. I can only walk and be a witness to what I've experienced. I've experienced Jesus saved my marriage. 
I've experienced Jesus make my daughter well in days when she was really sick. I've experienced God take a place that was nothing, actually called Labaro, which means out of nothing, and create a church. Provide every need for it. Like to the point where if you didn't know, we don't owe anyone anything for this place that we worship in. Because God faithfully provides. These are what I've experienced. And I share that because that's what I could share with somebody else. I've experienced God do this, so I'm going to share this with you. I could say, I've experienced God take Granny and take her out of a relationship that she shouldn't have been in. I've seen God save her. Well, I wasn't in her life then. But she has the power to say, God has been faithful to take me out of situations that I didn't need to be in. I can't share her testimony, right? We can't share anyone else's testimony. We can only be a witness to what we've experienced. And Jesus says this about when we'll be a witness, when we'll share the good news that we've experienced. He says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when you are a witness for me. Like power when we walk in our weakness and share how he showed up, we get power. Not anything that we've done, but he shows up. We're like, oh, I didn't even know this was going to happen. What? This is what you wanted to do. And then he tells us where we need to be a witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we're going to unpack those in a moment. But, but what I wanted to spend a few moments in is, is what Ed Setzer said. Don't let the moment we're in keep us from the mission we're on. And I want us to see that we are on mission. And take away this mask. The discipleship is too hard to try. Because we can't get to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth if we will never try it. If we get stuck in the, oh, that's for somebody else. Oftentimes we think that being a disciple or living on mission means you have to have a seminary degree. You have to have walked for so long with Jesus like, well, I've only been a Christian for four months, so I can't do anything like that. If you have said yes to Jesus, you've seen some good news of him showing up, and you are a disciple. It's just whether you're walking it or not. A disciple means that you're a learner, that you live on mission, and that you share the good news. And if you look, I broke it down just a little bit let, a little bit more. To live on mission means just to live out what you've learned. And to share the good news means that you share about the experiences you've had with Jesus. We actually have had this happen at the Oaks because we believe in the mission. If you look at Frank, if you remember Frank a few months ago, he was sharing about how God was moving in his heart to see him in a new area of his life. Right? He was talking about financially, he had never in his Christian walk been willing to surrender that to Jesus. But God kept talking to him about it. And if you know me, I, I don't preach about money. I don't. Because I feel like it's a personal connection with God. It's your choice of whether you want to be obedient to God in that or not. So as he's sharing with me what God is doing, I'm like, God, you know what you're doing. You are so faithful. Wow, this is awesome. So Jesus is growing Frank in this relationship, and uh, he said that he'd always been afraid to share that. And then he, he tells me that God is orchestrating all these conversations about giving right after he feels like 
God has prompted him to give, like a conversation with his boss and then a conversation with somebody else. And as I share this, again, it's not my experience, it's hearsay, but he and I talked about this yesterday as we talked about actually sharing it, but he learned something new about God as he said yes. He watched God show up as he said yes. He said he began to live out what he learned and he started giving like God had told him to. And then God showed up in amazing ways and awarded, rewarded his obedience. He shared his testimony, the good news about what God had done in his life. He was living out, being a disciple, living what he learned, and sharing the good news. And we can do this too. When we agree that we can learn, can you learn? Can you learn anything? Do you know how to write your name? You've learned something. Do you know how to add? You've learned something. Can you drive a vehicle safely? <laughs> You've learned something. So we all know we can learn. Can you live out what you learn? Like writing a check. A lot of people in this day and age, they can't write in cursive to sign a check. But can you live out what you've learned? And can you share what you've experienced? Have you ever had a bad sandwich from somewhere and you wrote a review? Or you bought something and it didn't work like you planned? That's an experience that you shared. But what if every experience you share about Jesus is the good news that you've encountered with him? Discipleship is simply doing life on life with Jesus and with other people. And when we, when we realize that we can do this, what if we actually do it? Do you want to learn? You want to learn something new? Pick up your Bible. If you have your phone, if you'll grab your phone right now, do you have a version Bible app on your phone? If you do, you could open it up. You could find a plan to read about something that you struggle with in your life with Jesus. You can read God's Word so that you can begin to learn about that. Let's say you struggle with uh, believing that God could raise the dead. I'm sure there's a Bible plan in there somewhere that talks about the God of miracles that raises the dead. You could read God's word, and then you could ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes, just like we did when we raised our hands in surrender at the beginning of the service. We can, we can learn. Now, how about living it out? Let's say this past week, we talked about the resurgent power of speaking, right? This past Sunday, we talked about how we had the ability to call down heaven right here. We have that ability because we can walk in that resurgent power that God gives us. Well, what happens on Tuesday when you hit a wall in your life? And for the first time ever, you say, Holy Spirit, I need you to show up here because my day looks like hell. You've never done that before. But you ask the Holy Spirit to show up there. That's a moment where you're living out what you've learned in your faith. And just like Frank, you find that God will bring a solution. may not be what you want. You may not have a tree of money growing outside if financial need was what you were praying for. But there will be something that happens in the relationship that was a, a, a wall you hit, in the workload, in the dark cloud of emotions that you hit. I don't know what the wall was that you hit on Tuesday, but I hit a wall on Tuesday. I was angry and frustrated. I'm really thankful that I have people who speak into my life and said, so... How is God working with you through this? 
Like these are moments where we need to call down heaven and we have to live out what we've learned or we just sit in a ball and we're like, I'm really frustrated and life sucks today. Experience those days? What if we call down heaven and live out what we learned? And then the good news that we get to share is the solution that he gives. What if you were having a, rela- a relationship issue with your spouse and your, or your boyfriend or girlfriend and they walk in the room and they're like, hey, we should talk. They took the first step instead of you. That's God's solution. That's a moment where he's showing up. What if somebody paid for your Starbucks or your coffee when you knew that you really didn't have the money, but you needed that little caffeine? That's a solution that God gives, a wink to remind you that he is present. What if you just had peace in a moment where you were really anxious? That's God's solution. It may not be what you wanted, but you had this moment where you encountered God. A person can only testify and share the good news of what they've experienced. It is their witness. It is what we are called to do as we are disciples. We don't share what we've learned, what we've heard. We're not robots of rhetoric. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes, he is. But if we don't believe it, why would we share it? Because if he is not my life, I don't need to be telling other people that he's the way, the truth, and the life because I don't live that. So we can only share what we've experienced. The coolest part of the Great Commission in Acts 1-8 and how they fit together is that Acts 1-8 shows us our mission field. It shows us we're going to get a really up-close screenshot of the mission field. And if you look at this map, you see a center arrow on the map. There we go. Up oh, first one. So this is Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. If you look in the center, you will see a yellow area, and that's Jerusalem. That is their neighborhood and their town. That is like, if you live in Goose Creek, that is, these are our people. These are the people on Red Bank that we do life with. These are our people. He said, first, you're going to be a witness to Jerusalem. And then he said, Judea, which is the kingdom or the country. And we could look at that here in our context as like the low country. So all the way to James Island, Mount Pleasant, like Somerville, maybe even all the way to Orangeburg, like wherever we will go in, in regular life. He's telling them, start with Jerusalem, go to Judea. And then he says, Samaria. Samaria? What? Jesus, you tell us to go to Samaria? Don't you remember what happened the last time? You said we were going somewhere and we needed to go to Samaria. You said, I must go through Samaria. I must go through there. Samaria is the place they avoided. You guys have any places you avoid? I got places I avoid. I know what streets people live on. I'm like, mm, you ain't catching me in Walmart near that street. <laughs> what if I run into them and I have to talk to them? Because I talk to everybody, just ask my kids. <laughs> but Samaria is the place that they avoided. Because, and Jesus said that we need to go there because we receive power to be a witness for him when we go where he calls us, even to places we avoid. Jesus said about Samaria, he said, I must go there. And then if we look in verse 39, listen to what happens because Jesus goes there. It says, many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the woman he went to see. Jesus went to Samaria for one person. As we read the scripture, it says he left the 99 to go after the one. And this one woman, 
she believed in him because he told her all he, that she had ever done. What? A lot of people believe because she encountered the Jesus who told her what she had experienced. See that, that power in our experience? Scripture continues to remind us that the good news of Jesus changes everything. Everything. Changed a city that no one wanted to go to. What if they said, you know, as we write about what happened before the church started, I know Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end. What if we just left Samaria out? Be much easier, right? I'm just going to talk about Jesus in the places I'm comfortable. Well, what if he's calling us to go where we're uncomfortable so that he can have power there? So that he can say, I'm going to use you with people you're uncomfortable with. We have a mission filled to go where he's called us to be, to live in power. At the Oaks, we believe our mission is to keep Jesus on tap. Hence the shirt today. How's that for a plug? Our mission is to keep Jesus on tap by using our hands, our hearts, and our lives so that the people that we do life with, our community, our neighborhood, and our coworkers, so that they'll find and follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's living it out, that we are going to live out the Great Commission and Acts 1-8. And we're going to walk in power there. We're going to show up. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. The other day, um, I'm working on base now, which is an answer to prayer. But um, this guy walked in, and he was talking. He said, yeah, we just bought a house, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, and we got a ghost. I was like, oh, yeah, you got a ghost. Fancy. (laughs) Didn't know that houses came with those. But (laughs) um, he was like, but we got a ghost, and I'm not sure what to do about it. And I just simply looked at him and said, do you believe in Jesus? And he was like, What do you mean? I was like, well, if you believe in Jesus, you can ask him to come into your house. And then the spirit will have to leave because that's what the word of God says. He was like, and he left. And while that story may seem like, why would she share that? Yesterday, I'm at the coffee shop again. And I watch him come in. He uh, works in a different uh, store in there. And he looked to see who was working in the coffee shop. And he avoided the coffee shop. Because sometimes we go to places, and our job is to make them uncomfortable so that they will think about the Jesus that we share. We're planting seeds so that they grow. And they're not going to grow because, you know, everything works out like roses and daisies. It works because they start thinking. What if he went home and he was like, she said I could invite Jesus here. What? But when we keep Jesus on tap in our hearts, in our minds, and in our hands and feet, then everywhere we go, we give a little bit of that power away. It's not power that we have. It's power that he has as he goes through us. And just like a tap at a bar, our church is in an old bar, just like a tap at a bar, that stuff that comes through the tap, that beer is readily available. It's right, all, it's right there at the cusp. All you have to do is pull, that, pull back the handle. What if we live on mission and we keep Jesus on tap and everybody around us experiences this power? His plan for our life isn't necessarily to send us to Africa or to the ends of the earth. I believe he wants us to start small. But let's look at this snapshot 
this bigger picture before we move on. Can, can we see the next uh, map? So this little square, the gray square in the center, is actually where Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are in the picture, the big picture of the world. And as Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to the end of the world. Do you think that he like looked at the whole world and they were like, well, Jesus, we have this much of the world. Do you think they even knew what was across the ocean or what was further than just their little area? I don't either. But I love the bigness, the grandness of Jesus' plan for us. His plan is for what we say, our witness, to go to the ends of the earth. And it doesn't necessarily mean we go to the ends of the earth. If he sends you, you should go. But what if we're supposed to be like Philip and ask the questions that start the relationship to go to the eunuch who is from Ethiopia, who's going to go and change his continent because of one person who shared his witness? What if that's what he's talking about as he says, you will receive power as you go to these places as I said, if he calls you to go, you should go. But I think he uses our words and the power behind our words to do far more than we could do. Because if we could do it all, we wouldn't need a Savior, right? We wouldn't need Jesus. We'd be like, I'm going to the end of the world. I heard once in a conference, this uh, guy who is a pastor who loves being on mission, he was talking about how frustrated he was when he went to Saddleback Church, which is a church, is it in California? Um, it's Rick Warren's church, and he's a fantastic speaker, leader. He helps people really engage on mission. But Rick Warren said that he had gone and made disciples in every country in the world. And this other pastor is like, what do I have to do? I guess I just get to go home because, Rick, you've already done it all. And in that moment, he stopped dreaming. He stopped believing that his life could have purpose. But we have a mission. And we have a mission filled. Last week, I asked you guys to write down three words. Your community, your neighborhood, and your workplace. And I asked you to pray for those, right? To begin to call down heaven to show up there in those three places. And today, if we're going to watch this resurgent power of sending come, I want you to pray about your encounter there. Pray about how you can encounter your neighbors. We think it would be really cool if you all had cookouts and invited your neighbors. Take Philip's approach. Ask some questions. So what do you do? Oh, how have you been doing through this COVID thing? You want a hot dog? Take this small step to be a discipler and disciple in your community, in your neighborhood. Be with your neighbors. Live out what you've learned and live on mission. We think that it would just be a cool way. And so next week we're going to have a calendar. We hope that you'll talk to your neighbors and pick a date. We'll provide hot dogs for you and your neighbors. We want to help equip you to live out the Great Commission starting with where you are. Not because we think that you should go to Africa, but because we think he's called you to live on mission here. I shared one thing last week. Worship team, I'm ready for you when you are. Um, I shared one thing last week. We fought really hard to make sure you were loved while we've been separated, right? I talked about that, and I talked about the reasoning behind it is because I see the army that you are. 
I see the army of people that you are. And while I, as, as a pastor here, I can have this much reach. All of us together, living out the Great Commission, keeping Jesus on tap, using our hands, hearts, and lives, we can be an army with the good news of Christ. Not sharing what Nathan's been through or what Rose's been through, but what we've been through. What Matthew's been through. How God has healed his body. We can, we can go share that. I can't share his story, but he can. And what if we were the army and we rose up? What if we lived on mission by encountering the resurgent power of being sent? He has a mission for each one of us. If you look at the different uh, zip codes that we have here at the Oaks, because there are a lot of people who look at things and they try to statistically decide which is whether we're succeeding or failing. I'm not about that. But I do see huddles of hope that God has strategically brought to the Oaks so that we can be sent out to make a difference in the world. And so as we begin to worship, again, I want to ask you, how can you engage your people? Can you have a cookout and invite your neighbors and your coworkers? Can you show up in your neighborhood, in your community, and really engage people? Ask questions like Philip did. Philip didn't go in and say, you need Jesus. They may need Jesus. He went in and said, do you understand what you've experienced? He let the person invite him in. He didn't say, I need to get in your buggy so I can tell you. He said, do you understand? And as they walked alongside of the, of the chariot, he was invited into the chariot. He was invited in. A lot of times we think that if we live on mission, we have to push ourselves. And nobody feels comfortable pushing themselves on somebody else, right? But let's ask questions. Let's make relationships by living life on life. And let's help people see that Jesus is the hope that brings life. That he is the full life. Not just like a momentary, oh, this is cool, I go to church. But a moment of nothing else will do. I just need you, Jesus. If we lived that out our communities would be vastly different. They'd be like, wherever it is that Rich and Kate go, we got to go. Like, we got to go. And we've seen that happen as people have invited their friends and their families to be part of our family. So today, I want us to experience the resurgent power of being sent by living like Philip and engaging people where they are. So if you will stand to worship and bow your heads with me. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you promise that we will receive the Holy Spirit as we say yes to you. I thank you that you are the power source that works through us in our obedience. I pray that today, Lord, if you are calling us to a specific place in our neighborhood that we would not delay, but we would follow you, we would be obedient to go. 
But Lord, before we get there, I pray that if our hearts are not knit to yours, if we don't know you as the source of life, that today would be the day that we would say yes to you. Because nothing else will do, and we can't be on mission without you. Jesus, we give you permission to show up in the room, to walk in the room. I thank you for the power that is in your name that changes everything. That as we read your scripture, we continue to see that you change everything. Send us, Lord. Let us be the army that you're calling us to be on mission in our community. Help us to keep you on the tap of our lives, ready to pour out at any moment. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are faithful to show up. Be with us in our worship. It's in your name I pray. Amen.